Heroes of the Second Calamity, a series by Daniel Murphy, narrated by Nicholas Gossage. The Sea Viper. Chapter One. The Prince of the South. It was a beautiful day to die. Should that be the direction the day took? The late morning sun lit up the sky brightly. So that its light reflected on the ripples of the sea like a thousand mirrors, a few clouds, caught between currents of wind, swirled like dancing women. The so-called Whale's Road, a current of ice-cold water that skirted the western coast of the Concordant, let out wisps of cooling mist and took the teeth out of the late summer heat. The only sounds were the lapping of water against the hull of the boat. And the cries of seagulls reminding them that the shore was not so far away as it felt. Deacon Rain was enjoying it, bound hand and foot as he was, and unable to do anything else. He was on his back against the oak planks of the deck, and everything on his backside was wet with salt water. His curly black hair stuck to his dark face, to his deep red velvet vest, and to anything else it could. His breeches were a woody brown, near in colour to the deck itself, and the wetness of everything made him glad that the only white he wore was an undershirt with long sleeves. Blowing one curly tuft of hair away from his emerald green eyes, he looked sideways at his friend Sutha, who was clearly not taking the morning in the same stride. "I'm finally going to do it, Deacon. If we survive this, I'm finally going to kill you with my own two hands." Sutha twisted and strained his wrists against the tight ropes that bound them together behind his back. Sweat beaded and rolled off his bald, tanned head, down onto his broad shoulders, and soaked into his plain white shirt. Oh hush, Deacon chided him, still trying to blow that long curl of hair out of his eyes. I'm getting tired of that pessimistic attitude, you know. When we get back to Perla's Port, we're going to have a team meeting about it. I mean it. You need help. I'm not the only one who thinks so either. We're captured and tied up, Deacon. You've really got us into it this time. There's not going to be a team meeting because we're going to be dead. Sutha growled, still fruitlessly struggling against his restraints. Deacon rolled a little so he could see their captors, a ragtag crew of five men, and a shaggy dog that had moved so little he wondered if it were dead. They had been mostly tending to the sails. Ignoring their prisoners so that they could bring their small wooden schooner into alignment with the icy current below. Hey, you there! Isn't this all a bit dramatic? He called. It was just a little game of lucky knuckles. I bought those dice this morning. I swear I didn't know they were cheats. Come on now, can't we all be reasonable about this? What was your name there, good sir? Caden, yes. The wind and salt-beaten man finished securing a rope. Then sat down on a crate not too far from Deacon and Sutha. Norn, he said, sitting and wiping some sweat from his own forehead. My name is Norn. Yes, Deacon cooed. Norn, that's what I meant. Norn, my friend. Come on, we can talk about this, can't we? Norn smiled and pulled out a long, well-used dagger, turning it in the sunlight and giving them a wicked grin. Quite a little racket you were running in that pub, until you cheated the wrong man, and slapped the wrong woman's ass. Another crew member added, stepping forward, his sunburnt forehead all twisted in a scowl. 
Look, sir, I couldn't have possibly known she was yours. I... And pissed on the wrong man's boots. A third stepped towards them, and as though to accentuate the point, put his boot up on the crate where Norn sat. All right, that one's on me. I should have looked before I pissed off that balcony, but... Salty Dog is sick, a fourth man said, and then stooped down next to the dog to rub his neck and ears. What the hell is wrong with you? Dogs can't eat chocolate. Now that's not my fault. Deacon argued. When I stepped out to take a piss, he ate it from my plate. Your plate was on the floor, the man frowned, and Salty Dog whimpered in apparent agreement. Deacon blew air through his lips. He had him there. The fifth man came over and sat by Norn. He looked more battle-hardened than the others. A gruesome scar cut across his left cheek and ended in a gnarled ear. Deacon had figured that he was their leader, though we hadn't heard his name yet. And what heinous offense did I commit against you, good sir? Deacon asked. You insult my crew, you insult me, he answered curtly, then rolled his right sleeve up to his elbow to reveal a tattoo of a black hammer over a flame. With twisted grins, the others did the same, and showed the same mark. Deacon eyed them and let out a low whistle. You've really got to like someone to get matching tattoos. I've just never been able to commit like that. There was that one lass in Bowdenville, but peace keep me. I doubt I'd have been the first lad to. They're members of the Black Forge, you imbecile, Suther grunted, turning himself over so that, with great effort, he could get up onto his knees. Did you think on what we should do with him, Captain? Norn asked the scarred man. Suther interrupted them. I have never met this man in my life. Norn laughed. Didn't seem that way, Norn, when you was helping him hustle our table, driving wages up with your shit bids. It was all his idea, Deacon assured them. I'm an innocent man, caught in this criminal's schemes. You son of a bitch, Suther shouted. Enough! The captain interrupted, rubbing his forehead. This whole thing has given me a headache. For all your shit luck, you've got one blessing today. The Black Forge has strict rules about killing, and as frustrating as you are, you don't meet the requirements. Deacon raised an eyebrow and rolled over onto his belly to better see everyone. You mean you didn't bring us out here to kill us? Well, that's the thing. The captain smiled in a way that Deacon wasn't sure he liked. I shouldn't kill you. I also can't let these insults go unpunished. Very reasonable, sir, Deacon perked up. Pick your fine, we'll pay it. I've some shill to my name still, even after your men generously relieved me of my winnings. Cheat winnings, Norn grunted. I've an idea, the captain assured them. I shouldn't kill you. But that doesn't mean I have to let you live. He pulled out a knife of his own now and showed it to them. I'll free one of your arms, then chuck you both overboard into the Wales Road. We're only a league out from shore. If you're cunning with a knife and skilled with your breaststrokes, I'd say there's half a chance you'll reach land alive. More than fair, eh? He turned to regard the rest of his crew with a sly smile. Suther's face was a study in worry. Deacon could possibly survive such a thing, but Suther could not swim. The stout man cast a worried, grievous stare at his partner. We have to tell them. We have to. They won't kill us if they know. Deacon seemed to brush it off. I think we stand a perfectly good chance of making it to shore.
I do, at least. And you did just say that you're going to kill me if we both get out of this, so... Damn it, Deacon. Think of someone but yourself. Just this once. Tell them. Tell me what? The captain leaned forward, looking both confused and interested at the same time. Who are you, young'un? He asked, pointing the tip of his knife towards Deacon. Deacon sighed and made the effort required to get to his own knees, upright next to Sutha. He looked sympathetically to his friend. I think we can survive this, he insisted. If we say too much, then even if we do survive, we'll still have a black fate ahead of us. Sutha snapped. Fuck you, he roared, then faced the captain. This right bastard next to me is the crown prince of Southlandia. He's dumb enough to have been captured by one group or another twice already in the past, and each time, his royal father has paid an extraordinary bounty to see him home safely. If you take us ashore, and then arrange transportation down the Vulture Coast, past the cut, we can guide you the rest of the way. I'm telling you, it'll be a ransom like nothing you've ever seen. You'll never take orders from anyone again. Black Forge or no. Norn looked like his eyes might pop out and one of the men behind the captain laid a hand on his shoulder to steady himself, as though he might swoon. The captain raised a skeptical eye. Ain't ever heard of a place called Southlandia before. Deacon looked annoyed by the implication. That's because you all here in the Nine don't bother learning about anything beyond your hollowed borders, do you? Most of you don't even know there are whole countries out there, and still call anything further than the desert the Darklands. Don't blame us for your lack of geographical wisdom. Blame your archons and their book burnings. Watch it, boy. Norn hissed. We're all born in the light of the proofs up here. Piss on wherever you're from. You are welcome to piss on where I'm from as soon as we get there. I will do the same, Deacon assured him, then widely regarded them all. We don't have shill in Southlandia, but we mint in gold and silver, same as you all. The last ransom my father paid for my return would be equivalent to... Oh, I don't know. One hundred golden shill rings here? One hundred, a crewman said. Shill rings, another gasped. That's a thousand golden shill. The captain was now in a somewhat precarious position, Deacon knew. Even if he still had his doubts, the other four members of his crew had gold in their eyes. Men who think themselves so close to fortune don't mind a bit of mutiny to get there, and the quick glances he threw over his shoulders revealed that he understood as much. Have you any proof of this? He asked at last. Deacon rolled his eyes. If you check beneath my vest and shirt, you'll find that I am wearing a pendant. It has a cobra on it. That's a kind of snake not found here, but far beyond the shine instead in the rocky hills of Radakar. It looks like a regular snake, but has a frilled hood that extends out in a semicircle on either side up to the head. It is minted in gold, with a sapphire studded at the top, to represent the wandering star, Idashven, when it rises in the morning. This is the seal of my house, the royal house of Southlandia. Norn took it upon himself to check for this proof, and quickly moving to Deacon, unceremoniously pulled his vest open and shoved a hand down his shirt. He smiled wide, then pulled the promised pendant out and over Deacon's head, dangling it from his hand. That's solid gold, 
one of the other men said, whereas a third just whistled when it caught the light. You'll need more than that to get past the naval blockade at the cut, though, Deacon continued. We have papers of entry, signed by my father. Otherwise, no vessels from the so-called Darklands can enter Concordant waters, and the opposite is also true. We'll not be getting back to my country without those papers. And pray tell, where are they? The captain asked. With a bit of luck, my things are still at the inn where we've been staying, back in Seahaven, not all too far from where you grabbed us, drunken as we were. I'm happy to send one of your men. The room key is still in my left trouser pocket, third floor, west side, the one with the old iron knob. The others are all wooden knobs. It's easy to find, he explained. Keep us here on the ship and send a man you trust. We are talking about a lot of gold, after all. He let the suggestion linger, and it had its desired effect. Every thug on the boat eyed each other suspiciously. The captain spit on the deck and said, It's worth checking out. If you've lied to us, though, you won't get your chance for a swim again. It'll be a knife in the gut, and I'll let your blood stain the decks. As I'm telling the truth, we'll happily accept those conditions. Deacon assured him in a calm voice, though some red-brown stains on one side of the deck caught his eye. Suther looked at him, uncomfortable but hiding his worry, and Deacon gave him a quick wink. The five crew members barked orders at one another, the captain more than anyone. After a flurry of grunts, ropes, and curses, the schooner was back in motion and heading towards Seahaven. They bickered among one another, Tones alternately suggesting excitement or concern. Deacon thought he could hear a few disagreements, and in particular, heard the name Joran more than once. It didn't seem to be the name of any of the crew, and notably, they would all quiet their whispers even further when the name came up. Whoever he was, it was clear that the captain was more concerned about him than the others. Before long, they had moored at a small beach near the main port, Wiry but dense mangroves, still with the deep green leaves of summer, wove their roots along the hidden embankment. No sooner had they beached than the crew set to arguing over who should be allowed to go and grab the papers from Deacon's room. The captain, whose name seemed to be Tav, pulled rank on the others. He was not only the owner of the schooner, but was also senior to them within the Black Forge. They grumbled at that, especially Norn who seemed second-in-command, but in the end agreed. Tav fetched the key from Deacon's pocket and let himself down onto the shore, disappearing through some bushes. On the other side of those bushes, he knew he would find a well-trodden dirt road that would take him to the southern entry of the seaside village. From there, according to Deacon's instructions, it would only be about fifteen minutes to the Sea Pig Inn where he would speedily secure the documents and then return straight away. The captain had barely been out of earshot for a minute when one of the crew snarled. Joran ain't got shit to do with this. To hell with him. Why should our luck mean gold for him and his? What's he done for us? The grimace on Norn's face showed he agreed, but didn't quite know what to do about it. If we're sailing down the Vulture Coast, we ain't much choice about it. It's Joran's waters for leagues round the White Spire and if we go further out to sea than that, we're half again as likely to see the Cardinian navy. Spit on the navy, and spit on Jaren, he grumbled, drawing a sneer of agreement from the others. 
It's a small schooner and we've plenty of fishing gear and nets. Someone flags us down. We'll just say we're fishing. Norn shook his head. And the two guys we've got tied up on the deck. We're going to explain that away, are we? By the proofs, you're a dumb lot. That quieted the others down, but their whispered grumbles continued, and Norn had more than a few glares behind his back. Deacon and Suther had both returned to laying, uncomfortably, on their sides. Patience. Deacon said the word so quietly that even he could barely hear it, but Suther nodded ever so slightly. Seagulls chatted, and the clear water lapped at the white sand of the beachhead. The crew seemed nonchalant for the first thirty minutes or so. The man who had been complaining earlier was now in a corner by some barrels, nursing a smoke-leaf pipe that wouldn't quite stay lit in the breeze. Norn passed the time sharpening his dagger, and the other two seemed happy that Salty Dog was up and walking again. He came over more than once to lick the salt from Suther's face, which the broad man hated but couldn't escape. Once thirty minutes had passed, though, a clear tension came over them all. When an hour had gone by, they couldn't hide their worry. He's grabbing some of the other boys, one suggested, pacing nervously across the length of the deck again and again. Even Norn had put his knife away and was now staring over steepled fingers at the mangroves. Despite his low common speech, he seemed the smartest of the bunch, which, so far as Deacon could tell, didn't mean much. There are others in town. Blackforge? Deacon asked the question in a leading tone, and widened his eyes as though he didn't like where things were going. Didn't know that. Would have suggested someone else go with him otherwise. You know, to keep an eye on things. Norn looked away from the mangroves only long enough to give Deacon a stare that said he should shut his mouth. But his face was riddled with the same concern that gripped the others. He wouldn't go behind our backs like that. One said, clearly trying to convince himself. Deacon punctuated the silence with an unwelcomed. It is a lot of gold. I don't like this, none, another said, joining his crewmate in pacing. He should have been back by now. Easily. A fourth agreed. Where is crew? Norn reminded them. He must be trying to be discreet. Deacon reared his head up again. And he's more loyal to you all than this, uh, what was the name? This Joren fellow? That drew uneasy stares between all the crewmates. And finally, Norn stood up. I'm going to go check on him. Might be he met some trouble. Alone? Deacon asked in the same easy, leading way. I'm going with you, the one with all the complaints said. And it wasn't a question. Norn stared angrily at him. But the other met him right back, and a third joined in that he agreed. Norn eyed the two bound captives, and then the two men who would be left with them on the boat. After a minute he grunted, Fine, you and I, let's go. Then he turned to the other two. If we're not back within the hour, go out to sea and drop these two in the deep. He gave Deacon a satisfied grin when he said it. Well, that's hardly what the captain... Norn's boot kicked into Deacon's ribs, drawing a hard gasp. No more out of this one, he said, looking at his crewmates. Just keep kicking him if he keeps talking. With that, Norn and his companion shimmied off the boat and stomped through the sand, 
before pushing through the same thicket of mangroves that the captain had gone through an hour before. They had only been gone a minute when Deacon asked, White Spire? Never heard of it. You're not supposed to be talking, one of the two men reminded him. Look, I'm all tied up here, and my companion seems to be giving me the cold, silent treatment. No knives in words, my friends. No knives in words. We could all sit here quietly, or we could pass the uneasy minutes with some conversation. You two seem more reasonable than the rest of that lot. The dog seems better. His name's Salty Dog, one explained. Yes, I had gathered that, Deacon said. And your names? It's a long journey to Southlandia, and once we all get to know each other, I'm sure your captain will realize there's no need to keep us tied up. Might as well get a little familiar. Especially if we're going to convince my father that you're my rescuers and not my captors. Your... your rescuers? he asked. Deacon shook his head affirmatively. Well, of course. If we make port in Southlandia, and I tell my royal father that you captured me and kept me as your prisoner, you're much more likely to see the gibbet than a golden shell ring. I hadn't thought of that, the man said, stroking his chin. I'm Gamlin, and this here is Savesh. Savesh? Deacon said with some surprise. I had thought you looked a little darker than Sun Alone would allow. You're from Parthed, then. I. Savesh said. He didn't seem much for talking. Deacon continued. And Gamlin, that must be... Rickayan. I'm from Rickin. Yep. He said. Salty dog is yours, then, Gamlin? Gamlin shook his head, but pet the dog affectionately. He's Captain Tarves, but he don't treat him well none, so I try to. Thoughtful of you, Gamlin. Very thoughtful of you. Now since we're all getting to know each other, maybe you could tell me what the problem is with this Joren fellow. Seems his name riles you all up. Joren's the leader of the Black. Savesh elbowed him hard. We're not supposed to talk about him. Not none. Deacon interjected. Not none would, technically, my friends, mean some. Look, there's no harm. You'll all be rich as king soon enough, and you'll never need to answer to Captain Tav or this Joren ever again. No harm at all. Go ahead, get it off your chest. Pretend you're talking to the sea. Gamlin blew some air out and looked nervously at Savesh. Nah, better not. It was quiet again for a few minutes before rustling could be heard from the mangroves. Expectantly, Gamlin and Savesh stood up, hoping to see the rest of their crew. Instead, they were surprised by the appearance of a young tan woman in a deep green woolen tunic. Her blonde hair had been disheveled some by the clingy branches of the underbrush, and at first she did not appear to even notice the boat moored there. Without so much as looking up, she knelt down and began untying her dark boots, her long blonde hair sweeping the sand as she did so. Who is it? Deacon asked aloud, unable to see over the side of the boat. The captain? Shh! Savesh hissed with a foot movement that threatened a kick. He and Gamlin just stood there, watching. Ma'am, my lady, Gamlin finally called out, his cheeks betraying some redness. The woman was already untying her tunic belt, and gasped. 
suddenly aware of the two men. Oh, my goodness, I do apologize. No one is ever on this little beach. Gamlin and Savesh moved to the edge of the boat closest to her, so that they were between her and their captives. It was obvious from their mannerisms that they were afraid she would see Deacon and Sutha, and then escape to report it. Just taking a break from fishing, ma'am, Gamlin explained. Seemed as good and quiet a spot to moor as any. I hope you don't mind if I share it with you for a little bit, she said back. I work at the bakery over on Willow, just up the way, and I'd like to come here after. The salty breeze chases away the smell of dough. I get so tired of it after a while. The two men exchanged nervous glances, but seemed to realize it would be much more suspicious to chase her away. That's fine, Mom, Gamlin assured her. There was a pause, and the woman continued, in a somewhat slyer voice. I do prefer to sit in the sand just in my chemise. The warm, moist wind feels better when it can kiss my skin a little easier, and my tunic has dough on it besides. She was already slipping her outer tunic off when she asked. You wouldn't mind that none, would you, boys? The two practically stammered all over themselves, tongues twisted into knots, before Savesh managed. No, ma'am. It's your beach far as we're concerned. We wouldn't want to throw you off your day none. From between them, Salty Dog leapt off the beached bow of the boat and down into the sand, excitedly running up to the woman tail-wagging a fury. "'What's your name?' she asked in obvious glee, bending over to rub the dog's neck and back. "'Who are you, you little gentleman?' "'That salty dog,' Gamlin called out. "'Seems he likes.' Sutha's muscled arm wrapped around Gamlin's neck from behind, and Deacon's did the same to Savash. They fell backwards in pairs onto the floor of the boat." working hard to dodge clawing fingers and fists, until the crewmen slowed their motions and at last went limp. The two gave an exasperated sigh, and looked at one another with a slight smile. Worked well enough, Sutha said, breathing hard. Always does, doesn't it? Deacon answered with a wink, then rolled Savesh's unconscious body off him so he could stand back up. Should still be enough good rope to tie these two up. He said down to Sutha, who nodded. Deacon took the razor blade he had concealed previously in his ripe boot's heel and pushed it back into its hiding place. For a second there, I thought you were going to wait until I was flat out naked, the woman called from the beach. The notion crossed my mind, Deacon answered. The dog would have made it weird, though. The dog would have made it weird, she agreed, then changed her voice to a higher pitch as she knelt to rub Salty Dog's ears. Yes, you would have. Yes, you would have made it weird. Yes, you would have. Sutha peeked over the boat's railing as he finished tying the two men back to back. Everything else go according to plan, Tira. Tira was retying her boots between face licks from Salty Dog. Like pissing down a pipe, she shouted back. Beatty has the older one tied and stuffed into the wagon already. Zack, Shiv and I took care of the other two that went after him. They're with them now, in a barn not too far from the road. You find out who we're looking for. Deacon grinned. His name is Duran, and he's holed up somewhere called Whitespire. I've never heard of it, Sutha said, done with the other two now. Me neither. Deacon rubbed his chin. 
Sounds like they control their own slice of the sea from there. Based on Mom's misgivings about steering between there and the Cardinians. Well, that should at least give us a starting place. Norn. Suther corrected. His name was Norn. But Deacon didn't seem like he cared. Tira was leaning on the front of the boat now, looking up at them, thinking it might be on one of the smaller islands. Certainly possible, Deacon answered, then happily slapped at the railing of the schooner. Good thing we have a boat now. Let's grab the bounty on these bastards first, Suther suggested. Deacon Rain straightened the cuffs of his shirt and rebuttoned his dark velvet vest, all the while shooting his two friends a sly smile. Not a bad day's work for the Prince of Southlandia. Tira looked at him wide-eyed, then laughed loudly. You actually convinced them there's a place called Southlandia, a land to the south called Southlandia, and that you were the prince of it? By the proofs, man, I thought we were just deep in our cups. I didn't believe you'd actually try that, you crazy bastard. Deacon held out a palm expectantly, a sly grin on his face. A bet's a bet. She rolled her eyes, pulled out a silver shill, and, with a chuckle, dropped it into his hand.